everybody. Open up your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's back in the Old Testament, Psalms, then Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. I'm going to begin in Psalms or in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. You know, this is a, a great time of year. I love this time of year because, you know, summer's kind of winding down. This is Labor Day weekend, and it's the last hurrah. You know, school is back in swing now. So now we're heading into the fall months. And, you know, next Sunday we're launching Connect Groups, and it's always a great time. Like Pastor Zach was saying, 30 Connect Groups launching. It's awesome. And then that same week, later on in the week, Man to Man goes back in, into session again. We broke for the summer, and our monthly meetings are going to be awesome. We're changing the format this year to be a little bit different. It's going to be really, really good. And then a little later this month, uh, the women get back into gear, the bridge women with their ministries and things that they do. It's just an exciting time of year. But all that we do here is really, it, it's about connecting. It's about connecting. I say it all the time, the bridge church is about connecting people with God and connecting people with people. And if, if you take Christianity, biblical, scriptural, born-again Christianity, and you break it down to the simplest common denominators, it all comes down to connecting with God and connecting with people. Jesus was asked one day, what's the greatest commandment of all? What did he say? The greatest commandment of all is you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything you have. You love God, you put him first, and you let life evolve and revolve around God. But then Jesus said the second commandment is this. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's connecting with God and it's connecting with people. And if I could just go a little bit further, you know, the real proof of Christianity is tested in our relationships with people. Everybody smile at me. You want to know what kind of Christian I am? What's the way I deal with people? Because it's about connecting with God, letting him change us from the inside out so we see people differently and then we begin to love people the way we love ourselves. You know, we a couple of Sundays ago started talking about the body of Christ and the, how we all need to be plugged in and in place because we have something to give and somebody near us has something to give to us that we can receive. We talked about missing pieces. You know, sometimes... In our lives, one of the missing pieces is good, healthy friendships and relationships. Everybody needs friends. You know, some people seem to think, well, I just want to be a hermit, put me on a desert island, you know, put me over there all by myself and I'll be fine. God did not create us to be isolated and alone. He created us to be in relationship with him and then relationship with other people. God created us for friendship. And you know, oftentimes we focus on finding a friend. Have you ever been in a time in your life where you think, man, I, I just need a friend. I don't even have a friend right now. We tend to focus on finding a friend, but we often overlook what we really need to be focusing on is how do I become a healthy friend? See, Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 18, 24, a man who has friends must himself 
be friendly. You know, really, you can read that verse, and it says, a man who has friends has friends because he's friendly. We say, oh, God, send me friends. And God says, be a friend. Be a friend. If you be one who connects with others, who's willing to open up your heart and your life and be the kind of friend that will help people build their lives, then they will feed back into your life. All of us want healthy friends. The question really is, do we want to become healthy friends? Do we want to be healthy friends? You know, we're talking about connecting in all different ways all over the church. I mean, today and next Sunday, we're really going to be promoting not just connect groups, but all of our ministries. Because we want people to get connected because we're stronger when we're connected to each other. And this morning, I want to talk about the power of friendship. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Look at verse number 9. There's four verses I'm going to walk through. Let's do them one at a time. Verse 9, two are better than one. Read that with me. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their labor. Did you know a healthy friendship can help you in your business life and your professional life? Right, the right kind of friends. Healthy friends can help you even in your professional life. Look at the next verse, verse 10. For if they fall, two people fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Did you know a healthy friend can be a big help in time of failure? Anybody here ever had a failure? You ever had something really go sideways on you? I know maybe four of you, it looks like, from show of hands. Put myself at the front of this. I've had some failures. There have been times in my life when I needed somebody to help me figure out how do I go from here. It's interesting that Solomon said, man, if a, if a guy's all by himself and he falls, he's got nobody to lift him up. Failure is a lonely, lonely place especially when you got no one at your side. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages or he fights, he wars against all sound judgment. God did not create us to be isolated. He created us where we need each other, and there are people around us we need to join hands with and do life with because we gain strength from one another. We gain protection. Look at the next verse, verse number 11. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. How can one be warm alone? Did you know that a healthy friend can be a big help in challenging times? I'm, I'm one of those guys, and my wife is all the time reminding me of this. How many of your husbands are thankful for your wives this morning? You better get your hands up and say, oh, yeah. Y'all are quiet this morning. I don't know what the deal is, you know. If it's the picnic tomorrow, what's happening here? But... I'm thankful for my wife because she reminds me. I'm the type of guy that I kind of feel like, well, I just got to figure everything else out by myself. I don't need a map. I can figure it out. I don't need instructions how to put something together. I'll figure it out. Typical man. How many men do we have in the house? You know, that's kind of how we're wired. But the fact of the matter is there are challenging times in life when we need somebody to help us through those times. In the next verse, verse number 12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly 
broken. A healthy friend can be a big help in times of battle. Have you ever gotten to a situation where you were all by yourself and you looked around and you thought, wow, I wish I had somebody here to stand with me? You know, a healthy friend can be a big help in times of battle. And two friends, it's even better when you got two friends with you when the fight comes. We need each other. And this morning I want to talk for just a little while about four characteristics of a healthy friend. And today, I don't want us to focus on just what kind of friends do I need, although that will become clear throughout this teaching. But I've broken it down to four main thoughts. What kind of friend do I need to be to be a healthy friend? Number one, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. Say that first part of that verse with me. A friend loves at When does a friend love? All times. A real friend is going to be there. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. A real friend loves at all times. Then it goes on to say, and a brother is born for adversity. Number one, a healthy friend is trustworthy. A healthy friend is trustworthy. What does that mean, trustworthy? It means a healthy friend has deserved your trust. He's earned your trust. Through times, things that have happened, you have learned, I can trust this person. He is trustworthy or she is trustworthy. In any situation, at all times, trustworthy. I want to ask you a question today. Ask yourself, am I trustworthy? I was telling first service, anytime I do a message, you know, I spend the week, sometimes I spend a few weeks putting things together. But I spend the week kind of getting it all worked out, you know, tossing it around inside of me and getting my thoughts on paper. And anytime I preach a message, I have to go through these things and I have to ask myself the question, am I trustworthy? Am I trustworthy? Well, do I deserve people's trust? Let me walk you through some things here real quickly. You say, what do you mean trustworthy? Well, how about this? Can I be trusted with another person's money? Everybody smile at me this morning. Can I be trusted with somebody else's money? If there's a situation where there's money on the table and nobody knows about it but me, but really it's to be split or really it belongs to somebody else, can I be trusted with somebody else's money? Here's what Jesus said about money in Luke 16, 11. Jesus said, therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon or riches or money, if you're not faithful to correctly deal with money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? See, money's not good or evil. Money's neutral. What you do with money determines what it is. What's in your heart that causes you to use money a certain way, to use wealth and riches a certain way, that's what determines whether it's good or bad. It's what's going on inside of you. And I want to be a trustworthy friend. So number one, can I be trusted with somebody else's money? You know, if, there's a, if you all go to a restaurant, you know, and there's several of you, and you all throw in so much on the bill, and you get to the end of the bill, and there's extra money left over, and you think, oh, okay, wow, this is great, man. I'll just stick it in my pocket. Or do you try to spread it back around where it needs to go? Or if you're in a business deal and there's a couple thousand dollars at the last minute that comes in and it's on the table and nobody knows about it but you, nobody's figured it out. What do you do with that money? Can I be trusted with somebody else's money? Or how about this one? Can I be trusted 
with somebody else's story? If somebody tells me what's going on in their lives or what they've done in the past and some things they're trying to grow out of and, and put behind them and move on, can I be trusted with their story? If they've done some shameful things and they look to me as a friend and they share and they say, man, this is where I've been, but I want to get out of it, you know, I want you to encourage me and help me along the way. Can you be trusted with somebody else's garbage from the past? It's interesting. Proverbs 17, 9 says, he who covers a transgression seeks love. If somebody's made mistakes and they share it with you, can you cover it and sit on it and keep quiet about it? Or do you need to go talk? goes on to say, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. You know, one of the most destructive things in relationships is gossip. And we call gossip, well, gossip means you lie about something. No, gossip isn't just lying about something. It's not just spreading rumors. Gossip sharing things that you have been shared with you in confidence that you shouldn't be sharing. Can I be trusted with somebody else's story? If somebody dumps their garbage on my desk, can I keep it quiet and keep it where it needs to be? If they're trying to work this out with God and within their family and what's going on, can I be trusted with that? Have you ever had a friend that you thought, oh, I can trust this friend with my life? And somebody told you something in confidence and you said, oh, I won't say anything, but you ran to your special friend and said, oh, I want to tell you what happened with so-and-so. I'll tell you because I know you won't tell anybody else. And then they have another special friend that they say, hey, let me tell you about so-and-so. So-and-so told me that so-and-so, da-da-da-da-da, but I'm just telling you because I know you won't tell anybody else. And then they have a special friend. Oh, let me tell you what so-and-so told me from so-and-so from somebody. Let me tell you what they did. And the first thing you know, you walk into a room one day and everybody's looking at you like, yeah, I know. Am I trustworthy? Can I be trusted with somebody else's story? Or how about this one? Can I be trusted with another person's friends? Am I the friend that's always looking to expand the circle and have more friends and more friends and more friends? Or am I the guy that runs off and pulls a friend aside and says, oh, you don't want to hang out with them. They're this way and that way. Oh, you don't want to hang with them. They're, oh, I'm the one you can trust. You don't need to worry about them. I need to be your special friend. Are you the kind of person that has to have that one little friend in that one little world and you can't be trusted with their other friends? Or are you the one who's constantly expanding the circle of friendship? Can I be trusted with another person's friends? Or how about this? Can I be trusted with another person's family? If for whatever reason somebody else's family suddenly gets thrown on your back, can you be trusted to deal with them correctly? And to go one step further, can you be trusted with another person's spouse? Can we be trustworthy people? Can I be trustworthy? Ask yourself that question today because God wants to develop us from the inside out where we become the kind of people who are trustworthy. And before we move with somebody else's information or life or friendships and relationships, before we touch them, we stop and consider, where is this going? What do I need to do with this? Can we be trustworthy? Number two, Proverbs twenty-two eleven says, He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips... The king will be his friend. Now, I want you to leave that verse up for a minute because I want, to, I want to dissect it for just a second. Number one, he who loves purity 
of heart. Do I want to be someone's friend for what I can gain from the relationship? Or do I want to be someone's friend for what I might have to give into the relationship? See, some of us approach friendships like, well, what's in it for me? Uh, that person, they don't have anything to give me. I don't want to be friends with them. Oh, that person there, I want to hang with them because I, if I get connected with them, I can make more money and I can do this and I can do that and they can do this for me and I'll be seen in different light in public eyes. Why are we turned towards people? What's in our hearts? Solomon said, he who loves purity of heart and, number two, has grace on his lips. Let's talk about this a minute. Have I learned to speak words that are uplifting and that build people up? Have I learned to speak with grace rather than harshness and ridicule? What it says here is, if I have a pure heart, my intentions are right, and I learned how to speak correctly with people, even the king will want to be my friend. How many of you would like to have influential people want to be your friend? One. This is, you're a hard crowd today, I'll tell you. Everybody wants to be your friend when your intentions are right and you can learn to speak with grace on your lips. I'm going to tell you something. Learning to speak with grace takes time, takes work. I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Hebrews 10, 24 says this. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us consider friendships. Why? We want to stir up love and good works. How can I help you? How can I be a blessing to you? The next verse says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. In other words, not isolating ourselves from people, but as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And the word the day speaks of the day of the Lord. It's the day of judgment, the day when all accounts are settled, when we step into eternity and God's plan forever and ever and ever. What he's saying is we need to operate with people we need to conduct ourselves in relationships where we are always trying to encourage people to see the big picture and move toward everything that god has for them because number one we need to be trustworthy number two we need to learn how to be encouragers we need to have pure hearts we need to have grace on our lips we need to be encouragers Helping people see the big picture. There's, there's a passage of scripture in 1 Timothy or 1 Thessalonians 3 where Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and he said, you know, I can't come to you right now, but we're sending Timothy to you because Timothy will encourage you, he'll establish your faith, and he'll help you to move forward with greater faith. We need to learn to be people who encourage people to trust God and have faith in God and see the big picture and keep moving forward. We need to be encouragers proverbs 27 9 says ointment and perfume delight the heart and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel did you know good godly hearty counsel can add sweetness to somebody's life we need to learn to be givers encouragers not just takers you know an encourager inflates people it helps them grow up and get stronger. It helps them 
rise to a place where they haven't been before. An encourager helps people to come to their place of potential in God. But a condemner deflates people. Every day of life that goes by, you run across people who are in a hole. For a thousand different reasons, people are in holes. The question is, do you try to help them out of the hole or do you encourage them to stay there? You can inflate them and raise them up. You can deflate them and tell them, stay right there. That's where you need to be. What do you do with that? You know, several months ago, I had a friend, one of my closest friends, who called me on the phone. And, you know, he's a man of few words. He, he's not one of these guys that says a lot of flowery stuff. But, but he lives just far enough away that I can't see him very often. And he said to me in conversation, you know, so unlike him, he said to me, he said, you know, I wish you lived closer so we could hang out more often. And that just encouraged me that my friend would say, man, I wish you lived closer because I love hanging out with you. Are we the kind of people that people want to hang with because we encourage them or do we deflate them? Am I an encourager? Number three, look at Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Number three, a healthy friend is truthful. We talked about being trustworthy. We talked about being an encourager. But number three, a healthy friend is truthful. For some of us, it's hard to learn how to speak the truth to people without hurting them. There's some work involved in it. I referred to it a few minutes ago. I'm going to get down to it now. We need to learn to be truthful people because if we're not truthful, then relationships are built on deceit. We begin to have divisions in relationships and friendships. We begin to have fractures because the cards aren't all on the table. Ephesians chapter 4, we're encouraged to speak the truth in love. Now here, here's what I found about people. Remember a couple weeks ago I talked about how we're motivated by what gifts and so on and so forth. You know, the, the prophet just points his finger and says, oh, that's wrong, that's stupid, that's ignorant, that's sin. And then the person of mercy over here is, oh, it's so sad that you're in that place. But we need to get both of those gifts working together where we find middle ground in that. But let, let me show you something to do today. We need to learn how to tell people the truth even in difficult moments. And oftentimes when people are in difficulties and friends reach out to us, you know, we get frustrated because we see their mistakes. We see, wow, you shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have done that. Do you not understand? Da, da, da. And it goes on and on. And yet in the middle of that, we're commanded by God's word to speak the truth in love. Tell them the truth, but do it in a way where it's able to be received. Now, I'm going to show my age just a little bit here because I am over 50. For those of you who are wondering, yes, I am. I am over 50 years of age. I won't say how much, but I am over 50. But what is it that makes the medicine go down? A spoonful of sugar. There's a little Mary Poppins up here, you know. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down some of us are so anxious to share the medicine but we don't stop and realize we need to do it with the spoonful of sugar 
That's what Scripture is saying. Tell people the truth, but tell it in love so it will build them up and not, build them, or not tear them down. We need to share the truth in such a way that people will receive it from us and not get angry at us and begin to build on the truth that we share with them. Colossians 4, 6 says this, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. In each situation, let your speech be seasoned with grace, with the salt, with the seasoning that adds flavor, that makes it good and acceptable to the person who's hearing it. And by the way, if I could just throw this in, flattery is not truth. How many of you know when somebody's just blowing smoke at you? Many, many years ago, there was this uh, church I was preaching in uh, in the Midwest or the Southwest, I guess. And the pastor one day was telling me a story. There was a woman who was visiting the church who had this local ministry in town. And she was visiting the church, and there was an older woman there from Canada visiting. And this older woman was almost 100 years old. And this woman came up to her, and boy, she was just flattering her and being flowery and throw these, all these compliments out. And she went on and on and on. She was so over the top. And when she walked away, this old woman from Canada looked at the pastor and said, where does she buy her baloney? You know, after a while, people know when we're just flattering them. And Proverbs 27, 14 says, He who blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it will be counted a curse to him. Flattery doesn't help. Truth in love helps. When I went into the ministry, I, I was pretty young and I traveled for seven years or so preaching in churches and then I became a pastor I was in my early 30s just just bumped over 30 started pastoring and it's almost like God put some very unique people in my life to counsel with people like I had never seen before I mean people who really had deep dark situations and sitting there as a pastor, as a counselor, trying to respond to questions that I'm thinking, dear, inside of me, I get this thing going, dear God in heaven, what in the world do you do with something like this? This young man trying to figure out, I don't have all the answers, but yet this person wants me to give them all. What do I do with this? With three or four people over several months, God taught me so many lessons. But one of the things that I learned was sitting in the pastor's counselor's chair, a lot of times while people are talking to me, my lips may not be moving, but I'm under my breath praying in the Spirit saying, God, I see what's going on, but I need you to show me how to say this. Did you know if you'll ask God to show you how to speak the truth in love, he'll show you how to do it. If you'll ask God, Lord, my friend's asking me all these questions. How do I respond to this? I know what to say. I know what's wrong. But how do I say it in a way that they will receive it? It's amazing how many times when it came time for me to speak and they were finished talking, that God would just drop things in my heart and it would just flow out of me. And I would be like, well, here's what I think is, is, is what God is saying in this situation. It's amazing how many times people receive the truth when it's spoken out of correct motivation got to learn to be truthful with people so we want to be trustworthy we want to be encouraging we want to be truthful but number four one more thing i want to show you proverbs 27 
verse 17. Very familiar verse. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. When healthy people spend time together, they tend to sharpen each other. They make each other better. Now, I, I, I don't want you to take any criticism in this, but I want you to consider it. Aren't there people that you avoid because the more you hang around them, the more they want to pull you in the wrong direction? Even sometimes family members. I can only hang out so long because they pull me off in a wrong direction. They want to take me to a different lifestyle. They want to make me dull rather than sharpen me. See, Solomon said that two people who are healthy, when they're together, they sharpen the countenance of each other. They make each other stronger and better and sharper. A few weeks ago, Ann and I went down to do some shopping, and we bought some new kitchen knives. We'd had the same knives ever since we got married. They'd gotten dull. We'd tried to sharpen a couple of them. They were some kind of special knife, and you know, they're given to us as a wedding present, and it's kind of like, you know what? Thank God for those loving people, but these knives are getting duller. It's just hard to... So we went down and bought new knives, brought them home. It's amazing how sharp those new knives are. Just slice right through. I mean, it's just anything we cut, man. It, these knives are awesome. But you don't realize how dull the old knives were until you get new knives. These sharp knives. And they've got this thing you put them in that's supposed to sharpen them as you put them in and out of the holders, you know. We'll see if they work. You know, I haven't written my recommendation on it yet on, on Yelp or anything, but I'll get there one of these days. Or, or something. Not Yelp. Yelp's travel, right? Somebody help me out here, okay? I'm sinking. So anyway, we, we bought these knives, and it's so cool because they are so sharp. I mean, they're just so sharp. And isn't it true that there are certain friends that we have, we can spend time with those friends, and we walk away, and we feel stronger, we feel better, we feel sharper, we feel more alert, we have more hope, we feel like, man, I know where to go from here, I can do this. Why is that? It's because somebody has sharpened your countenance. I want to be the guy that people want to have coffee with because when they finish visiting with me, they feel sharper. I want to tell you something. The wrong people, you hang out with them. When you get finished, you will be dull. Amen? Amen. And in line with this, talking about number four, a healthy friend helps others grow. A healthy friend helps others grow. You know, I... I've been preaching for over 40 years. I, I've been in God's Word for so many years, and I, I love God's Word. But I'm going to tell you something. God never intended for any of us to stop growing as long as we're alive. I don't care how long you've been walking with God, how much you know. You may memorize the books of the Bible forward and backward. It doesn't make any difference. God still wants you to keep growing. And oftentimes, one of the ways that God grows us is through relationships, through friendships. We need to determine in our hearts, I want to be the kind of friend who helps people grow. You know, through the years, dealing with people and watching people, I see something that becomes very harmful in our lives, oftentimes. I meet people who have friends 
who become enablers. And I, I don't want to get into psycho stuff today, psychology and psycho Bible. I'm not, I'm not trying to go there, but listen to me. It's amazing how many of us choose friends who won't challenge us to grow. We choose people who want to get in the hole with us and stay in the hole with us, who want to feel sorry for us. And then we all wind up getting in a tighter hole together, and then we make room for somebody else who wants to get in the hole, and we get in that hole and we just kind of stay there feeling sorry for ourselves for how life has gone. The truth of the matter is, if all we can do is get in a hole with somebody, enable them to stay there, we've not encouraged them and we've not helped them. God wants us to be able to speak the truth in love, to encourage them, to tell them God's got a better future and help pull them out of the hole and help move them forward. That's what a healthy friend does. And we've got to be really careful. Please, please hear me today. We've got to be really careful about having those two friends. Well, they've been my best friends for 30 years. Do they challenge you? Do they help you grow? Do they try to help you become more? Or do you all come over and get together and have pizza and, and sodas and sit around and crawl back into the hole and live in yesterday? Everybody needs friends who will help them grow. And we as a church need to determine, I want to be the kind of friend who helps people grow, not allows them to shrink down and do less. I want to help them do more and become more in Jesus. We need to be people who produce growth in others. And you know, there's another word here that I want to throw in. I'm almost finished. You hear this thrown around a lot about, well, you, you need accountability. You need accountability. You need accountability. It's true. But, you know, accountability is not a word that you just stick into life and stick into relationships and say, okay, how are we going to do this? Accountability is something that ha just happens in a healthy relationship. Because you open your hearts, you share with each other, and then the next time you get together, you say, hey, how's it going with such and such? You're not calling them out. You're not putting them down. You're simply saying, how's it going? You're asking a question that brings your friend to a place of accounting for how life is going. Can I tell you, we need to have friends in our lives who bring that sweet, simple, loving accountability. And accountability will grow in a healthy, godly relationship. But an unhealthy friend will breed irresponsibility in life. I don't want to help people be irresponsible. I want to help people grow and become more responsible. And finally, there's one last thought here. There's an old saying that I refer to now and then, and, and normally, normally we apply it to our children, especially teenagers. We use it when it's convenient, but the, the saying goes like this. You show me your friends... And I will prophesy your future. You show me who you're running with, and I'll study them, and I'll tell you what your life's going to look like in time. Because the more you hang with somebody, the more you become like them. What kind of friend are you? Are you growing people? Are you challenging them to become everything they can be? Or are you running with people that continually griping, grumbling, dragging in the hole? Don't be that guy don't be that gal be the one who grows people around them then finally in closing the very last thought i mentioned earlier in the message proverbs 18 24 it's in two parts it says a man who has friends must himself be friendly why do we want to connect with people why do we want to connect with each other why do we have connect groups why do we have men's ministry why do we have women's ministry 
Why do we do all these things that we do? Why is it? It's because we need each other. We need these relationships to grow us and to help others grow. If you want to have friends, you need to learn how to be a friend. But then the second half of the verse says this, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Two things about this. Number one, some of you have friends who you trust more than any family member you know. You know, I don't care what your family's like. You know, I, I was talking about it first service. People talk about, well, yeah, my, you don't understand. My family's dysfunctional, so there's a lot of stuff I don't understand. Can I just tell you something? If it, I hope this brings comfort to you. The very first family on the earth, one brother or one of the sons killed his brother. We've all been dysfunctional since then, so we all got to learn things and grow. Can I just get a bobblehead real quick? All right. But if I choose to be the right kind of friend, it draws the right people in around me. We become encouragers. There is a friend, number one, there, there are friends who will be closer than any family member you've got. Please hear me. One of the reasons why I try so much to get people connected in church and relationships is because some of you need friends that are stronger than other friends and family members you've got. Some of us need friends who can walk us out of the hole that family tries to pull us back into. But then there's the second part of this. I think there's also a spiritual implication here. Before we finish today, I want to tell you, I don't care what you're going through today. I don't care what's going on. I don't care where you have been. I don't care what good has been done. I don't care what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter. There is a friend who wants to be your friend who will always be closer than any other friend or any other brother, any other family member, and that's Jesus. There is a friend. I know this message is, you know, a lot of people say, well, that wasn't very spiritual today. No, it was probably the most applicable thing, and it might be the most spiritual thing you hear all year because you can take it home and put it to work. But I want you to hear me. There is a friend who loves you so much that he went to a cross and laid down his life to pay the price to bring you into the family of God where you could know God, come into relationship with God, let him begin to change you from the inside out, set up not only your life to live a brand new life that's better than anything you've ever known before, but to settle eternity, to settle where you're going to be when this life is over, and to give you a life eternal like you've never experienced before. There's a friend who loves you that much. God sent his son. Scripture says it pleased God to put his own son on the cross and take our punishment so that you and I could become the children of God. We could know God and be in relationship with Him. But that relationship begins very simply. God extends grace. He extends forgiveness and says, I'll forgive you. I'll wash away your sins. I've already paid for it with the blood of my own son. Here, it's yours. I'll wipe away your past. I'll bring you into my family. I'll teach you my ways. We'll have eternity together. God extends that grace we have to receive it by faith by grace we're saved through faith we turn to God and say God I believe and God I'm in maybe you're sitting here today and deep down inside of you in your heart something's just boiling up right now and you're realizing this is true I need God in my life I know the first obstacle I don't like religion I don't either we're not trying to give you religion we're trying to put you in relationship with God who loves you maybe you're here today and 
you're the prodigal. Maybe you've been running from God for 12 years. And you realize today, man, it's time for me to come home. This is your time. If God is knocking on the door of your heart, it's time to say, yes, Jesus, come in. Or maybe you've never committed your life to him. Maybe all of this, you're trying to process it all. But deep down inside, you realize, man, there's truth in this. It's your time. If God's knocking on the door of your heart, it's time to say, God, I want to know you. The way we do that is with words. Call it prayer, but it's just words. I want to lead you in a prayer today, and I'm going to ask everybody here to pray this prayer with me. Just open your heart. Just wrap your faith around these words that I'm going to give you. Nothing magical, nothing superstitious about the words. It's just a simple prayer asking God to come into your life. Opens that door of relationships. Everybody, if you would, close your, close your eyes, bow your heads for just a moment. Everybody here, pray this prayer right out loud. Say, God, I need you. And I ask you to come into my life. I need forgiveness. I need to find the way from here. I accept Jesus as my Savior. Full payment for my sins. I'll make Jesus the Lord of my life. God, I want to know you. I want to learn your ways. I want to be your child. I want you to be my father. So come into my life. Make yourself real to me now. And I will follow you. Thank you for calling me and receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, whether you're the prodigal or whether it's the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, it's the most important decision you ever make in life is to follow Jesus. But this is not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. You just got your foot in the door. You've just started. Now you need to start learning what is this relationship with God all about. We have a little booklet we want to give you that will help you start that process. It's called The Next Seven Days. We want to give it to you. No strings attached. When service is over in a few minutes, there'll be prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. But if you just walk down to one of these teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right there. No strings attached. If you've got questions, they'll answer any questions you might have. If you want prayer for something else, they're here to help you. But if you just want to get the booklet and go, that's cool. Now, if you're in a really big rush, you can go out into the main lobby. And just before you exit the glass doors, there's a station right in the middle with a sign overhead that says the next seven days. They'll give you the same booklet there if you're in a big rush. Just stop by and say, can I get the booklet? No strings attached. We want to help you start creating this relationship with God, okay? God bless you. We love you today. Can we just put our hands together and welcome folks into God's